Psalm 61 this morning. I purposely haven't started a new study because in in the holidays here, people are in and out. You hate to start something new and uh, begin something and, and you know, part of the pack isn't with you to, to walk with you through a new study. So I'm waiting another week before I start anything new. So Psalm 61, we're just going to cover the first four verses this morning. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read this and we'll pray and then we'll get started. It says there in the heading, to the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this psalm of David, we ask, Lord, this morning for those in here who are maybe overwhelmed by just the sorrows of life, the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations of this world. Lord, we ask that you would minister, you would comfort, you would encourage Lord, I also pray for those, Lord, who are just overwhelmed. And, Lord, they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. And, Lord, they're just about to faint under the pressures, Lord, of this life. And they've got nowhere to run to, nowhere to cry to. God, would you help them, Lord, to see that you are the God who longs to hear them cry out to you lord you delight to show mercy to people you delight to forgive sins you delight lord to wrap people in the embrace of your arms and to shower them with your love we ask these things in jesus name and all god's people said amen you all can be seated you know we all know that there are times when life just plain hurts. And each of us have experienced to some degree the storms and the struggles of this life. As I look around the congregation this morning, and I think of those who have lost loved ones, and I know that the holiday seasons magnify that grief. They magnify that loss. They magnify the ache that's in your heart. And there are those who recently find that, found out that they have cancer. Those who have been battling with cancer for a few years. And there are those who, as you're aging and you're experiencing the aches and the pains that come with that, And it's overwhelming at times. Those who've experienced personal failures. Those of you parents who have experienced grief with your children. Disappointments at home. Difficulties at work. Marital strife. And you don't even know. You don't even know 
where you're going to be at next year in the situation that you're in. You've got no certainty, no assurance of the outcome of it. And the problem for us is in the midst of life's storms and struggles is that it's so easy to lose perspective. You know, our, our outlook gets obscured. It gets clouded by, uh, by life's problems. And, and we, we can't even see, you know, a foot in front of us. We, we just kind of stumble. You know, you just kind of stumble and you feel numb and you just uh, kind of walking through it and, 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 you, and you don't even know where you're going. You just kind of just walk instinctively. And you feel like you're sinking and it seems so hopeless. But, but here the psalmist, David, he rescues us from drowning in our problems. And he encourages us and he comforts us with a timely word. You know, as you may wonder this morning, why in the world are you preaching on this psalm? Well, I'll tell you why. Because not only is this a psalm that I go to often, when to minister to those who have lost loved ones and to give them comfort and hope in the midst of their grief. Uh, uh, this is also a psalm that, uh, you know, even, even uh, this past week as I'm texting back and forth with, with Paul and Ignostus and, you know, and, and wrote this one out. And, you know, it's one that I give to the living also in the midst of life's storms and struggles. But it's a psalm for me, too. And, and, and as I rehearse all these different things that I know that many of you in here are dealing with, and I, as, as those come to mind, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I'm a guy who gets easily overwhelmed by little things in life. You know, even this week as I'm sitting there and I'm, uh, the past two weeks, I'm thinking, okay, what am I, what am I going to do next after we finish Judges? What am I going to do? And it just overwhelms me. I mean, that's just sad to say, here we're talking about big problems and here's Daryl's little puny problem and it overwhelms me and I, it just, I can't even think straight because of, uh, of, uh, because, you know, I take it serious. You know, to preach and to teach, uh, a book of the Bible, to me, it's not just one of those things where you're just like, well, you know, we're just going to teach. It's all good. I get that. But you want to you wanna be mindful of where your people are at. You want to be mindful of where the body is at. You want to be mindful of the season that we're in as a, as a church, as a people, and what's going to best minister to your people. And so uh, I get overwhelmed by the little things in life, and I, that's embarrassing to admit to you, but it's true. So that's where this psalm, but in the midst of all of that and thinking of you all and thinking of my own little piddly problems, that's where this study came from. And the psalm here was written by a man who was walking probably through one of the deepest, darkest valleys of his entire life. And the title tells us that it was written by David. And although we, we aren't certain... Nearly all Bible scholars believe that this psalm was written by David when one of his sons was causing him much grief. You all remember the story, I'm sure. It was his son Absalom. And Absalom was very bitter with his father David. 
you remember that David had many wives, he had concubines, and so he had multiple children from different marriages, and uh, which is another problem in of itself and kind of created the problem that's going on here. But he had a son named Amnon, and he had a daughter named Tamar. And they were half-brother and sister, different mom, same dad. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, Amnon raped Tamar. And Absalom, who is Tamar's brother, was beside himself. He couldn't believe that this happened. And what was even worse, that David didn't do anything about it. There was no consequences meted out to Amnon for, 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 his, uh, for his sin. Absalom is waiting and waiting for his father to do something, and he didn't do anything. So Absalom took matters in his own hands, and he goes and he murders his brother, seeking retribution for what had happened to his sister. Well, he was banished. Absalom was banished from the kingdom, and uh, he came back eventually, and it was maybe probably more of a feigned type of repentance. And but David thought things were good between him and his son now, and he had kissed. You know, they had kissed, they had embraced, they had made up, and he's living peacefully back at home now. And and then in the midst of all that, you know, of course, Absalom is plotting. He is planning this rebellion against his father because he is still very bitter with David for what he's done. And so he stages this coup to overthrow his dad, and he's bent on seeing his, on taking his dad throne, his dad's throne, and seeing his dad killed. That's how angry this son is with his father. And David, as Absalom takes the throne, he's driven from the throne, he's driven from his family, he's driven from everything familiar to him, and he's exiled in a foreign land, and he's being hunted by soldiers who are loyal to his own son, and as he's leaving Jerusalem, and as he's crossing over on Mount Zion there, he's even got Shimei, you remember the story in Second Samuel 15 through 18 there, Shimei is throwing rocks at David, at the king, and he's cursing him, and he's kicking dust up in his face, I mean, he's hated by many people. And can you imagine the distress and the pain of a father's heart? More concerned for his son than he is about the kingdom. The uncertainty of the situation, what's going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to my throne? What's going to happen to, to my kingdom? What's going to happen to my family? He's humiliated by his son. He's shamed by, before his subjects. His heart is aching for his rebellious son. He, he's sapped of strength. He, he has no desire to even fight. He's completely overwhelmed. He's sinking in despair. And so what does the king do? And from this sad and burdened heart, he gives, he gives vent to his feelings. He, a song is birthed in his soul as he plays it on a stringed instrument. In David's song, we find help for our own hearts when we are called to walk through the hard places of life. And while sorrows will most definitely be a part of all of our lives because we live in a fallen world, a song can rise out of the pain and out of the difficulty all to the glory of God. And that's one of the things that this song or this psalm teaches us. So in the midst of uh, the dark valley that David's walking through, where did he turn to? Well, what does verse 1 say? He says, hear my cry, O God. 
Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. And David pours out his burdened heart to God. I wonder, is that one of the first places that we go to? Is that one of the first things that we do in the midst of our burdens? Or do we turn to other coping mechanisms, maybe? I'm overwhelmed, and so give me the remote so I can turn on the TV. Let's be honest, we do that. Or the younger generation, I'm overwhelmed. Where's my controller? Where's the PS4, the Xbox, right? We, we do that. I mean, that's how we, it's an escape mechanism. We, we eat, or we, we go run, we do everything. We do all these things to try to distract us from whatever the overwhelming situation is. But here, David, he gives us the answer to what we should do. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. He pours out his burdened heart to, to, to God. You know, and there are times when life just overwhelms this church. And young people, maybe you're like, well, I haven't really experienced too much of that. You will, and I'm not trying to be Eeyore or Mr. Doom and Gloom, but we live in a fallen world. It's going to happen. But there are times when, when, when life overwhelms us, and, we, and I think that we're tempted, and, and we probably fall into the temptation to think that God doesn't care about us in the midst of those times, right? If he cared about me, I wouldn't be in this mess. I wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't have this ache. I wouldn't have this pain. I wouldn't have this grief going on me. I wouldn't have this struggle. If he really loved me, if he really cared about me, this wouldn't be going on. But God does love his people. And those things happen, not because God doesn't love us, but because we live in the fallen world. And Jesus promised that we would have trials and tribulations in this world. And, and the temptation that, that we experience is that because he doesn't care about us, that somehow I, I have to, I've got to beg him to get his attention. You know, that, and we, we kind of have this idea that he doesn't care, he's aloof, you know, he's far off, you know, he's, he, he's, he's, he's out there, he's got more important things to do. And, and so... I've really, it's, I've kind of got to come to him like a spoiled brat, you know, like a kid who comes up, you know, and you're you're a, you're a mom or a dad, and, and and your kid comes up there, and you're talking with somebody, and they go, Dad, 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 and you just want to just pluck them in the head and say, "Be quiet for a minute." You, what you do, you say, "Hey, Dad's talking right now." So what? Five seconds, maybe they wait, Dad, Dad. And I think that's the way that we think that we have to approach God. We've got to somehow just keep pestering him, just beg him to get his attention. But we have to remember that if we are his people, then we have a relationship with him through Christ. He is reconciled. Christ has reconciled us to the Father. I don't have to beg him to get his attention He's my father, my heavenly father, and we are his children. Therefore, we can come to him and we can cry out to him and we can, we can pour out our petitions and our burdens with confidence that he's going to hear and he wants to hear. You remember what Jesus said? He said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, Come to me, all you 
all ye who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. He said, I'll give you a... He invites people to come. He doesn't say, if you have to come. You know, if there's somebody else who can help you, it sure be a lot better. But he says, come. I want you to come to me. Those of you who labor and are heavy laden, it means you're burdened, you're overwhelmed. He says, come to me. I want to give you rest. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, you know what Jesus said, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Do, do you know that he cares for you and he wants to hear your burdens? He wants you to come to him and to cast your cares upon him. Don't you have cares? Don't you have burdens that overwhelm you, that, that, that they, they so overwhelm you, you don't even know what to do with them? He says, bring them to me. I never intended for you to, yes, we live in a fallen world. Yes, you're going to have burdens, but I never intended for you to pack these yourself. I mean, don't you like that when your kids bring their burdens to you so that you can walk with them through that and you share their burdens? I can't fix their burdens. I can't fix all that, but, but I can shoulder it with them, can't I? And I think that's one of the assurances that we have is that in the midst of life's sorrows, I can't give you assurances of how they're going to turn out. I don't know how Wendy's cancer is going to turn out. I don't know how your marriage difficulties are going to turn out. I don't know how your griefs that you're having with your children are going to turn out. I don't know how your aches and pains are going to turn out. You may have lost your job and you don't know where your next meals come. I don't know how all that's going to turn out. I don't know. And, And I can't give you false promises. I can't give you false assurance. None of us can do that with one another. But, but there is one thing that we're certain of is that God hears the cries of his kids. It doesn't mean he's going to fix it all in this life. It doesn't mean that he's going to make it all better in this life. If he did, what reason would we have to hope for heaven, right? What, what reason would we have to live for eternity? To look for a better place, a better land. Have you ever felt far away from those that you love? You know, they, they can be in the same room with you, but, but there's a distance between you, a, a lack of closeness between you. And I think we all experience that at times when we get caught up in life's busyness. We get consumed with life's challenges. We just get consumed with living life and we get in our own little world. And even though the person is in the very same room with us, we can feel far away from one another. And and I'm blessed to know when that happens because my wife will graciously say to me, Daryl, I feel far away from you. And I know exactly what that means now. I didn't for a long time because I'm slow, but I learned over time. That means that, Daryl, you're so distracted with all these things. You're so caught up in this. Your mind is is so full of all this that even though I'm in the same room, you you know how you can be, your wife can be talking? And you can even be looking at them. And you couldn't tell them one thing they just said. That's far away. 
Though you're right there, you're far away. Well, in the midst of life's sorrows, you know, we can be near family, yet we can feel so far away. We're in this heavy fog. Uh, everything is just a blur. We're, we're numb. We feel lonely. We feel separated. We feel cut off. I mean, you can be at family events and you can still feel separated from family. But we can also feel separated and cut off from the Lord, right? Far away. You ever felt far away from God? It's like no matter what you do, you just feel so far away. It's just so cold, and, and, and I feel so alone, so separated from him. Well, David felt that way. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, from the ends of the earth, I will cry out to you. David was only, by the time he had, he had, he had you know, had gone into exile, he was just on the other side of the Jordan River, just over in the, in the land of Gad. That's where he was holed up during this rebellion. He was only 15 miles away from Jerusalem. And so David, when he says here, from the ends of the earth I will crowd to you, he's not talking about physical geography. He's talking about spiritual geography here. He felt far away from his home. He felt far away from his family. He felt far away from the sanctuary of God because it would have been in Jerusalem at that time. And so David though he feels far away from God and from those that he loves, through prayer here, he closed this seemingly insurmountable gap, that, that feeling of aloneness, that feeling of isolation, that feeling of far awayness. And I would remind you of what James says when we feel like that. James says that if we draw near to God, what is the promise, church? He will draw near to us, right? That insur- seemingly instrumental, that feeling of isolation, of aloneness, that if we will just pour out our cries to God, He'll draw near to us. The psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse 18, he says, The Lord is near to all those who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. And because David feels far away from those he loves and separated from God, and because of the situation that he's in with his son, you know, has taken the throne and is plotting David's destruction, the, uh, the, the, the demise of his own father, he's overwhelmed by all of this. It's, it's a huge situation. David doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. And that word overwhelmed there, it means enveloped. It means faint. As a matter of fact, the old King James, it says that when my heart is faint, that's the word it uses. It means weak. It means that sorrows have enveloped. They have surrounded David's heart and have sapped all of his strength. He's weary. He's fainting under the pressure of the situation. The waves from the storm of this life are are weakening him, and he's about to go under. That's what it means. And so what does he do? He cries out to God for the help to make it through the problems that he's facing. Have you ever been there? When the problems, the difficulties, and the trials of this life envelop, they surround your heart, and, and they drain the energy right out of you. 
And here David cries out to the only one who he knows can help him. The only one who can deliver him from that which threatens to destroy him. He's about to go under. And so he cries out to God when my heart is overwhelmed. The psalmist says in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Who who wrote that psalm? Do you know? David did. And so David draws from that truth here. He says, when my heart is overwhelmed, right? Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. He knew that he was a refuge and strength for him, a very present help in trouble. No matter what the situation was, no matter how overwhelming, I mean, this is what David says in, that, in Psalm 46, verse 2. He says, he says, I will not fear. He says, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling, that's what it means to be overwhelmed. All this stuff is going on around. There's all this uncertainty But my God is a very present help in the midst of it. Therefore, I will not fear. David knew that he felt far away from God. That though he felt far away from God, he knew that God was near, that he was an ever-present help. And he knew that God would hear his cry. And that God wouldn't just hear him, but that God would help him in the midst of being overwhelmed He would help his weary heart. And so he says, when my heart is overwhelmed, what does he say? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is my specific request. Not that you just attend to my prayer. Not that you just hear my cries. And I confess that I'm overwhelmed, but Lord, I need you to lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is what I need. This is the help I need. And so David, in in laying that out there, leading me to the rock that is higher than I, he paints this beautiful picture for us. It's a picture of a man suffering shipwreck. And the ship has sunk, and he has been plunged into the cold waters below. He's struggling for life. There is no life raft. There's no buoy to throw him. There's no one to help him. He's out there all alone. And he's panting for breath. He's come to about the end of all he can do. He struggled to the very end, and he's about to give up. He's about to go under. And suddenly he sees a rock nearby. If only he could reach it. If only he could crawl to the top of that rock where the pounding waves couldn't reach him, he would be safe. And so he cries for God to lift him from the threatening waves of sorrow and to whisk him away to a place of safety, to a high place where the, where the swirling sea and the pounding waves can't reach him. But David's overwhelmed. David's fainting here. David's about to go under. And he knows that he, does, he sees the rock, but I don't have the strength to reach that rock. I can't get to it. And so his cry here, his prayer is, Lord, you're going to have to lift me. You're going to have to lift me from uh, the sorrow that I'm in, the overwhelming situation. You're going to have to lift me. 
and you're going to have to lead me. You're going to have to do for me what I can't do for myself. And I think it's a beautiful picture of grace rather than works. Huh? God's not asking David here to somehow muster up the strength, man. Remember your Red Cross training. Hang on just a little bit longer. Dog paddle till you get there. You can do it on your own. You don't need me. No, we need him. Every hour we need him. And David understands that. I can't do this. I can't get there. I can't get myself out of this. But Lord, you can. Lead me to the rock that is higher. But what rock? David says that this rock must be higher than I, higher than himself. If this rock is not higher than me, the waves will continue to pound me. Even if I reach this this little outcropping of rocks here, if it's not higher than me, the waves will pound me and I will eventually succumb and I will go under and I will perish. And so here's David. David is the mightiest and greatest of Israel's kings. And he tells us, no mere man will do here. I don't need another man to come along. I don't need Joab, my greatest warrior back at home. He's not the one that's going to help me. Who I need here, who's the rock? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings. He is the sinner's Savior. He's our rescuer, right? We've been talking about that all throughout the book of Judges. That's what the judge was. He was a rescuer, right? A deliverer. All pointing to the ultimate rescuer, the ultimate deliverer, which is Christ. He is our rescuer. And maybe this morning you don't know the Lord. And you feel like you're sinking in your sin. Overwhelmed by your sin overwhelmed by what you've done and you've got no hope but there is hope as you cry out to the lord he will rescue you he will deliver you he will forgive you he will reconcile you and he will set your feet upon the rock but not just from the penalty of sin but he delights to rescue his people from the storms and the struggles of this life Proverbs 18.10 says that the the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they're safe. What encouragement is that for his people? Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, we we can thank or ask according to the power that works in us. Notice that David is encouraged as he remembers the Lord's faithfulness to him there in verse 3. Notice what he says here. He says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. He says, You have been. David draws strength from God's faithfulness to him in his past. David's walked with the Lord a long time now, you remember. He hasn't done it perfectly. He's made a lot of mistakes. But as David looks back on his life, he's encouraged that God has never failed him in any crisis. And he would not fail him now. You you remember David penned these words. He says, you know, he said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous go begging for bread. He said, all these years I've walked with the Lord, how he's taking care of his people. You remember David when he was young? 
he had seen the Lord's faithfulness to him and how uh, when he was a boy that God gave me, he's out there in the, in the fields watching over the sheep and how God gave him victory over a lion and over a bear, right? And then as he became a young man, you know, in his late teen years, and he's out there and he's, and he's, and he's faced up against this giant by the name of Goliath and how God gave him the victory over the giant. And, and he remembers him all those years where he had been told that he was going to be the king. But yet there was another king on the throne. His name was Saul. And when Saul found out that David was the next in line and not one of his own children, Saul was mad. Saul sought to kill David. For 13 years he chased David from one end of Israel to another. Deserts and caves and you name it, he chased him. But yet how God had preserved him and been faithful to David all those years. And so David goes back into his mind and he remembers God's faithfulness. And that's a good word for you and I. You see, because in the midst of that overwhelming situation, in the midst of life's struggles and life's storms, in the midst of the funk, and we can't see, and the fog is so thick, and we feel numb and all that, and we don't even know if we can take the next step forward. Oftentimes the way forward is to look back and to see and to remember and to recall what I call looking back through the rearview mirror of faith, to look back on your life, your history with God, whether it be short or whether it be long. Because you see, right now you think, I don't think I'm going to get through this. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to go under. But yet, if we look back, wasn't God faithful here? Wasn't God faithful here? Wasn't God faithful here? And if he was faithful all those times, will he not be faithful in this too? Will he not see me through this some way, somehow, that I'm going to come out better because of this? More conformed to the image of Christ. And we see that God has not abandoned us. God has not left us to deal with life's storms alone. Notice David's confidence in the Lord. He says in verse 4, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Selah. What's David saying? He's saying that even though I'm in exile, even though I'm distressed, I'm overwhelmed, my heart aches for my son who is rebellion against me and wants to, 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 to kill me, in the midst of the confusion and wondering if I will make it through this, I will cry out to you. I will press close to you. My hope, my trust is in you. And I believe that you will cover me and protect me like a mother hen does its chicks. Isn't that what Jesus said? Do you remember he said to the, to the Jews? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How, you know, the one who stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together like a mother hen gathers our checks, but you were not willing. But here David says, that's what my heavenly father does. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does. Is that when he sees his chicks in danger, and he sees his chicks overwhelmed by a situation... The mother hen grabs them and she brings them up under the protection, the covering of her wings. And David was confident that his Lord would do that for him. 
And we can be confident that he'll do that for us. Lastly, notice that this stanza closes with the word Selah. Do you see that? We often just kind of blow over it, right? It says, I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Selah. That word Selah, it's like a, it's a musical, this is a song, right? David has written this, and it's, it's a song that's birthed out of his pain. He's playing it on a musical instrument, and, and this Selah, it's a musical interlude. It, it, it's, it's a pause. It, it's meant to be a time to, uh, to pause and to meditate on that truth. So when you're reading the Psalms and you come across that word, it means stop. It means slow down. Think about what you just read. Let, let it minister to your soul. Are you overwhelmed this morning? Are you crying out to God? Do you know that he attends to your prayers? That even when you feel far away, and your heart's overwhelmed, that he'll, if you cry out to him, he'll lead you to the rock that is higher than you. That he's a shelter from the storm, a strong tower from the enemy. What comfort the psalmist gives to those who are overwhelmed. What hope we have in our Lord that he is a savior, that he is our rescuer. And so with the writer of Hebrews, we can close with this truth. Because of what we've just read here, because of what we've just meditated upon, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace church that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need i understand all the things that we do to cope with life's problems many of them can be helpful but there is a greater help church and that help is the rock jesus christ Cry out to him to lead you to the rock that is higher than you, that you might draw strength and comfort and encouragement in the midst of what you're going through. You'll not be disappointed. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, cry out to him. Cry out to him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I need you, and if I don't have you, I will perish without you. Let's go out in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord, this morning that you hear our cries, that you attend to our prayers. Lord, from the end of the earth, we will cry to you. Lord, may that be, Lord, our commitment. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our situations where we feel overwhelmed. Lord, would you even bring it to mind for us to call out to you? Lord, to maybe break our normal patterns and routines of running to the TV or food or whatever distraction, Lord, it is in our lives. That we would find ourselves running to you. That you, Lord, Lord, we're just a bunch of sheep. We need you to lead us. Lead us to the rock that's higher than we are. Lord, would you be a shelter to us, a strong tower from the enemy. And Lord, help us to be a people that trust in the shelter of your wings. 
We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you all today. I don't know we have snacks over there for you. Um, you all be praying for James and for Rick as they begin to do announcements next week. It's not easy to come stand up here and look people in the eye and, and uh, not kind of get the heebie-jeebies and the chilly-willies and everything else. So uh, they might be feeling overwhelmed. And so cry out to God, James. He'll help you. All right. <laughs>